Hello and welcome to the ET PhD team podcast, the podcast here to help you with your relationship with food and body by giving you evidence-based techniques to support yourself with a sprinkling of feminism, a dash of dismantling diet culture and a side of vulnerability as we share our own messy lives with you. I'm Emilia, a registered nutritionist and PhD with the sole purpose of making your life happier and healthier. If you love it, please do go wild and share it. And if you're ready for support with our coaching, details are in the show notes. Hello and welcome to episode number 161 of the ETPHD team podcast with myself and Georgia. Hi Georgia, how are you? Hello, I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm swell, swell, thank you. Um, So we've got a specific topic today. We're going to be talking about the fear of improving your relationship with food, which maybe sounds counterintuitive, but from the thousands of people that we've spoken to, we know that actually, even though logically it's like you feel that you want to improve your relationship with food, for whatever reason, you're actually scared of that, not just the process, but scared of the outcome of improving your relationship with food. And so we feel like we know why. We've fed your minds. And we want to kind of talk about specifically eight things that we see with clients, eight things that we've experienced ourselves in some way, shape or form when it comes to stopping you from improving your relationship with food. So let's get started. Number one, the fear of weight gain. Like how many people have you spoken to with have the fear of weight gain? It's in like it's in everyone, right? Mm. Yeah, everyone, everyone assumes like if I improve my relationship with food, that means I am going to gain weight and that feels scary. Yeah. And I would like to say, first of all, one is weight gain is not inherently a bad thing. And if you feel that it is, then it's worth considering any internalized um, weight stigma or beliefs that you hold. Um, and number two improving your relationship with food doesn't necessarily lead to weight gain it might if weight gain is actually healthful for you it might in the short term if you are somebody who's maybe regularly overeating but consistently it's consistently been shown that people with a more intuitive approach to eating have lower bmis and we're not going to go too much into this today but if this is something that you worry about with improving your relationship with food I did a full episode on it because it's the show much to talk about and it's episode number 132 of the podcast so do listen to that one after this one or before and um, you can pause this one and go and listen to that if you haven't already but the other thing that I think we've spoken about a few times is when people think that when they gain weight that their body image is going to reduce and when they lose weight that their body image is going to improve And I cannot stress enough how much we get that wrong. So what we tend to see is um, people in larger bodies, when they lose body fat, it does tend to be associated with improved body image, but it's not necessarily because of the reductions in body fat. It's potentially because of all of the healthful behaviors that they put in place that um, improve their mental health, their mood, and like their self-efficacy and all of these things impact their body image. It's not necessarily because of the scale weight change but in people who are in quote-unquote healthy bodies according to BMI which we know is a bit of a crude measure but we're going to go with it um we don't see changes in body image when you lose body fat your body image doesn't improve as you get leaner when you're in a kind of quote-unquote healthy-ish body um and an actual fact what we tend to see is like a u-shaped curve isn't it where people have a people who are in smaller bodies and potentially on the lower end of the BMI scale tend to have lower body images than people in the kind of healthy BMI scale. And that's what I think 
people think that the more and more fat they lose the more and more their body image is going to improve and that's not what happens yeah I would say from the clients that I've worked with what I tend to see is that as um relationship with food improves regardless of what happens with weight whether it maintains uh, increases or decreases that um body image tends to improve because like you said these healthful habits are kicking in they're starting to um, make choices that feel good to their body out of like respect and care rather than out of some kind of punishment and the peace that comes with that is unreal and um a particular client comes to mind that I spoke with this week and she was saying that actually she's at her happiest in herself and in her body now than she was when she was very, very lean doing photo shoots and the difference in her, um, just the way that she feels within her body is unreal. And I think that's really important to remember because she's not her leanest, but she is absolutely her happiest and healthiest. Absolutely. And for reference, um, body image, people think that body image is the way that you look but it's not and I've rewritten this down because I know that I always forget one of these four things um but there's four aspects that make up your body image the way you view yourself the way you feel about the way you look so your affective which basically means feelings the way they feel about the way you look um or your body image the thoughts and beliefs you have about your body image which is your like cognition and behavioral so the things that you do related to the way you look um, so it's all of these four things that contribute to your body image and you can see that none of them are specifically related to body fat levels in any way but I do think it's reductionist when people say it's got zero to do with body like body size because we it's not when it, when you're in a smaller body in general but sometimes if you're in a larger body there is a bit of an association so and that's probably to do with actually not your body size but because of like societal norms and weight stigma and things like that that actually you're negatively impacted by it as opposed to your body size itself and again this is generalized this is certainly not every single person and um, second fear is the fear of letting go of coping mechanism that in some way brings you joy or comfort. So I don't know how many people you've spoken to like this story, but I definitely have spoken to hundreds of people either on Instagram or clients who say to me, I want to stop emotionally eating or I want to stop overeating or binge eating, but I actually enjoy it or I actually feel comfort in it. It's the only source of joy that I have in my life or something along those lines. And Sometimes there's shame attached to it. Sometimes people feel like they're broken for saying that. But your disordered eating makes sense. I wish someone had said to me back in the day, your disordered eating makes sense. Because it would, A, just remind me, like feel valid, make me feel validated. But B, when you approach it in the way of, okay, this makes sense. This is, this is bringing me something purposeful. Then you can start to un uncover other ways to replace it. And you can it's just much more of a compassionate way to approach it. Therefore, it's a much more easier way to move through it. Yeah, I completely agree. And actually, <laughs> this I know we always say like, oh, does that make sense? But I would say whenever I'm speaking to um, an, a new client, the last, like they'll take me through where they are right now and then they'll say, I don't know if any of that makes sense. And I'm like, that all makes perfect sense. It does. And we'll kind of go through why. And then you can see that moment where they're like, oh yeah like I'm not weird or broken actually like I was doing it for a reason um and I think something else that kind of comes up with that 
is also the fear of, okay, so if I take away the emotional eating or the comfort eating, they're like, and then what? Like what, the, there's a gap there. But actually what we do in our coaching is that we take you through new ways to regulate your emotions and new tools and coping mechanisms so that food is still there, but you also have, you know, five, 10 other ways to support yourself. So you're not removing it and then left hanging. You are learning and replacing um, or adding to your toolbox, as we like to say. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, look, it's easier. If you always find joy in food, it's a hell of a lot easier to keep finding joy in food and not reach out and make new friends, not, you know, look at your job and discover if it's given you a purpose, not look at your relationships. Food is a hell of a lot easier. Um, but long term, it's not actually bringing you joy. It's not bringing you comfort. It's bringing you shadow comfort. It's not nourishing your soul and leading to connection. It's suppressing and numbing things. And if you if you spend your life not really having a lot of joy in your life and a lot of play in your life, which is you know something that we encourage with our clients, then your body starts to recognize the removal of pain as joy. So if you are therefore maybe stressed or feeling anxious and you consume food in response to that and comfort eating or um, emotional eating in some way, then you start your body starts to recognize this as joy. But it's not true. It's not true joy. It's not the same joy that you get from going out and, and doing something that you love with, with people that you love or laughing until it hurts. That's not the same true joy that you get. And I think if you're not working with us, one way you can start to kind of unpick this is to start to think about when did your disordered eating habits develop? It may well have been when you were like, you know, might be 30, 40 years ago, depending on how old you are, um, or it might only be a year ago. Think about when they started to develop and what you were feeling at that time and how those habits may have played a role. So for example, if five years ago you lost someone really important in your life and it was and you know you were filled with a lot of grief and that that's when you started binge eating or emotional eating it's maybe quite obvious I mean this is one specific situation it may be that actually food served a purpose to protect you from the the grief that could have come up and that's that if you can be thankful to that part of you and some of the work we do is kind of around these different parts of your body like that have different roles. If you can be thankful for that part of you that said, I'm going to protect you as best I can. And I'm going to do that by stopping you from feeling. And one way I'm going to stop you from feeling is by suppressing your feelings with food. If you can take a compassionate approach to that and say, you know, thank you to that part of yourself who, who protected you in that way. But now time has passed. You're a bit more able to lean into those feelings and, and feel those feelings in a much more manageable way, you don't need to cling on to your disordered eating so much anymore. And so it's totally understandable that you don't wanna let these go. We've heard it a million times before, there's no shame in that. But if you take a step back, recognizing that, yes, it's maybe helpful in the moment, but it's still not helping you long-term and we will support you and you can support yourself to incorporate joy, like you said, Georgia, or comfort or connection from other things that are much more like serve you a lot better next fear which kind of ties into with this one the fear of the space that arises when you lose your preoccupation with food exercise and your body which is an interesting one um because 
like you said, Georgia, you kind of hit the nail on the head. What happens when you stop being preoccupied with food, exercise in your body? What do you think of then? And that can be quite, that can be quite scary because you might have to own up to the fact that you don't have, you don't feel that you have uncovered your purpose in life yet. You might have to accept the fact that you're not happy in your relationships or you don't actually have a lot of things in your life that you fill your time with because you fill it with food. And that's quite a scary concept to kind of accept. Mm. Absolutely. Especially if like, if you think about your relationship with food, but also your relationship with exercise, if your whole day revolves around what you're going to eat, when you're going to eat it, when you're going to train, how long you're going to train for, what you're going to do after training, like you can fill your time outside of work with just food and exercise and leave very little room for anything else. And the thought of reducing some of that is like, well, then what will I do? Like it, it can be quite scary. So actually it's a great opportunity to reframe and think, well, now I'm going to get to explore who I am what I love, what I want to do like with my life. And I think something that we see um, particularly with people who are, let's say like mothers, where a lot of their life also revolves around like taking care of their children. And then it's like, well, outside of that, who am I and what do I want? There's been no space or any room to really explore, you know, yourself as an adult. There's a lot, a lot of room there to create this life that, you know, maybe doesn't even exist yet. Or if it does, I mean, something that one of my clients said this week was that she uh, she had a day where she kind of like got to the end of the day and realized, I haven't thought about my body today. I haven't body checked. I haven't thought about food once. I've just eaten like intuitively as she's been practicing. And she said like, oh my goodness, like I felt so uplifted and so excited that I'd had that day where I was so focused on the projects that I was working on and enjoyed the food that I had and she was like I haven't had that in years that's exciting like having a day where your brain is just switched off from food and exercise and just present like you will have moments like this that will just feel peaceful mm. and what we do with our clients so if you've not done this before there's a quiz on our website that you can test your relationship with food and we actually kind of talk you through a little bit about like how much time you spend thinking about food and what your ideal percentage would be. And because something that we do with clients is we often will ask you to draw like a pie chart and we'll ask you, we'll say, you know, list all the things you can do this when you listen to this podcast, list all the things, areas of life that are important to you. Things like family, career, um, fr like friends, love, whatever it may be, um, body, aesthetics, all these things, and put them in a pie chart of how much time you spend on each of these things because we only have this finite amount of time in our day and in a week and energy and then draw next to it draw a pie chart of what would you like that to look like so maybe that means the body and exercise thoughts reduce from half of your time to 10 percent of your time and then look at how much extra time you've got to spend on all of these other things it's amazing the cognition and the energy that you free up when you're spending less time thinking about these things um but that is scary if you don't know what you're going to fill it with and that's one of the reasons well again that you don't want to let that you don't want to improve your relationship with food because you're scared of the reality of what that means for the space that it creates in your life. But again, if you can frame it, like you said, Georgia, as an exciting opportunity, then that's amazing. Of course, there may be underlying things here that, you know, there might be some sort of trauma background, et cetera, where actually just space alone is really terrifying to you because it leaves your time to be alone with your thoughts and your feelings 
um, you might have a fear of being alone. There's a lot of things that can come up with that. But again, self-awareness there is really important. And I think what ties into what you were saying, Georgia, about parents is the fear. Another reason that people don't want to improve their relationship with food is the fear of losing part of your identity. A lot of us identify with our bodies, identify with our habits. And I, have to, I don't know about you, but I've definitely been the fit one of my friends. And at one point I was like, the skinny one. And then I was like the competitor. And then I was like the one who had to go train, even though like we were all hungover or, in, you know, things like that. That was my identity. And then, so when it, when it becomes your identity, you don't want to let it go. You're scared of what happens when you let it go. Maybe people don't like you when you lose that part of your identity. Um, maybe the connections that you made. So for example, one of my best mates I met competing, if I let go of that identity, would she still be my friend? Would she still love me if I didn't want to train with her and do all of these like diet friendly things that we did together? It's very, very scary to let that go. And it's not even that. It's also if you're somebody who wants to improve your relationship with food, but maybe you don't exercise. Maybe you don't eat healthy. And actually a lot of your relationships are built on going out and eating pizza every week or um, like drinking a lot. Or maybe you met someone and you connected with them and you fell in love with them when you were in a certain body and you're scared to change that body because you feel like that's who they fell in love with. And so this the thought of changing those things is genuinely really scary because one of the things that we're more scared of is rejection it's inherent in us as human beings absolutely and I, I was actually gonna uh, say but you kind of touched on it that even for some people who are in a larger body and they have habits that maybe aren't as healthy as they would like them to be um in conversations that I've had with people there has been some fear of letting go of that um because when they go out they kind of you know their friends predict what they're going to order on the menu and when they deviate from that uh, even if actually what they really would like is let's say a bolognese but they actually pick the biggest burger and biggest fries they can find when they don't go in line with what their friends assume they're going to pick they feel uncomfortable because they're like well you know I I'm the one that, that kind of does that and that's just what I do and and moving away from that can feel quite um confronting I think mm. as well because any any change like humans don't love change right we always feel a little bit like Ooh, mm. this is uncomfortable um but I think also just challenging yourself you know yes there's change but also what do I stand to gain from this change and like what connecting back to what the outcomes are that you really really want and this is why you know when we're working with people's goals we're also exploring their values as well so that we can really make sure that the changes that you're making are in line with what you really want not maybe what you've had or think you might want or should want mm, yeah and I think it goes even a little bit deeper of in the sense of all of those things are very egoic things they're all external your body the labels that you give yourself they're not who you are who you are is how you show up in the world, your energy, how you connect with other people, how you help other people, your core values, your qualities, your personality traits, all of these things, your soul, like that's who you are. People connect with you based on your soul. And, and ultimately it's that, uh, you know, Maya Angelou's phrase, people will forget how you, oh, what, did, what you said, but they won't forget how you made them feel. I think I've just completely crucified that, but you know what I mean? And um, pe people will not forget how you make them feel. That's who you are. That doesn't matter what body you show up and what habits you've got, what you decide to eat when you go out for dinner. But again, some of the work that we do is, like you said, bringing in values and things and reminding people how to be their authentic selves. 
so that it doesn't matter if your body changes because your body's going to change. Your body, your habits, your preferences, they're going to change over and over again until the time you die. If you attach to them, then you're, you're just going to be constantly stuck or constantly frustrated um, and constantly feeling disconnected. But if you stay true to yourself that whole time, then your connections will remain. Then like you'll still feel that whole self even when all the rest of the stuff is changing. The next fear we see that's very common is the fear of regret. Um, so there's this really cool theory called the escalation of commitment to illusion action, which I speak about quite a lot. Um, I spoke about it at a level up. Escalation of commitment is to, to illusion action is when we consistently push forward on things, even though they're not serving us. Um, and we kind of like, we, let's take dieting as an example, right? You are dieting, you keep overeating over and over and over again, but you double down on it because you're scared to let it go. You're scared to stop. You're scared to change. You have this fear around it. And there's three reasons why this might be. The first is that um, you're fearful of taking like an ego hit. So for example, say you've told everyone you're going to diet for your holiday. You've put a picture up, told all your friends, this is what I'm doing. You identify with that decision. And so you don't want to tell people that you have changed your mind because it's a hit on the ego. Because what you're saying is, I made a bad decision. Nobody wants to say I've made a bad decision. So instead, we just keep going. We keep saying, I'm just going to keep dying anyway because I said that I'm going to do it. doesn't matter that things are not going well. I've said I'm going to do it. The other reason we, we do this kind of escalation of commitment is the fear of regret. Um, so we're scared that in six months' time, we'll regret not consistently dieting. We'll regret changing our mind. And so in this situation, you're fearful that you're going to regret working on your relationship with food if it doesn't work out the way that you want it to do, or even if it does work out the way you want it to work out, um, you're scared of, like, again, scared of regret. Regret's a horrible feeling. Um, third part of the escalation of commitment to losing action is sunk costs, i.e. what we've already invested in something, which potentially is less relevant here, but with dieting, you might have already invested six weeks into a diet and lost, I don't know, a couple of kilos, but you've been stagnant because of your overeating in the last few weeks. Um, and you think, well, I've already started now. I've already invested into dieting. I've already missed three social occasions. So I should just keep going. Not to mention the fact that like over the next six weeks, you're going to lose even more by making this choice. And also it's not going to work because you keep, you're keeping overeating anyway and you've not changed anything. But like this, this theory of like sunk costs, fear of regret, this kind of ego identification, these three things are like why we're so fearful about changing what we already do, even though that change could be one of the best things that you've ever done. Yeah, I was going to say sometimes that also kind of plays into the, the fear of success as well. Like, well, if I do this and it works out and I change my relationship with food, then it kind of plays into the above um, sort of previous fears. Well, okay, maybe I lose my identity. Maybe this happens, maybe that happens. Maybe, you know, um, all these are the kind of potential outcomes really do come to fruition. And then what? And it, and it can feel like this huge, huge, vast expanse ahead of you because we end up living in the future of all the what ifs rather than in the right now of like okay well, where I am is this where I want to be what can I do is the next small thing to take a step from here and all those other fears of like of weight gain etc feel almost like an overwhelming wave because we're just thinking of all the worst case scenarios 
all at once. <laughs> Ever. Never do we do that. Um, <laughs> How very human. <laughs> there's this really cool um, Buddhist concept that I really like, and it's about asking yourself, like, what is the next best right thing or what is the next right thing so in any moment thinking well just what is the next right thing is can be really really powerful it's more like a day-to-day thing of helping you stay present but um like I think you just touched on it saying like well rather than thinking so far ahead just thinking about okay today what is the next right thing that I can do be that self-compassion or eating a meal when I'm not hungry or whatever the case may be and I think based on what you just said the next kind of major fear is the fear of feeling like a failure by working on your relationship with food because you're accepting that you're struggling you're accepting to yourself that you're struggling you're accepting to other people that you're struggling um and you feel like it's a similar stigma I guess to like mental illness in some ways because disordered eating and eating disorders do fall into that category specifically eating disorders but you can feel like when you finally admit it and start doing the work that because like that you're a failure and I see this especially with um personal trainers that we work with um maybe old uh, previous bikini athletes or bodybuilders that we work with who are people that are nutritionists who say they know everything they know all the like they have all the education but they feel like a failure and they feel like they've met failure by doing this work because they should know better like, that's so common I see that a lot in many of my perimenopause clients because they, well, shockingly, and I can relate, are a little bit stubborn and feel as though asking for help is quite embarrassing because they feel they should be able to cope by themselves. They have enough knowledge, they know what to eat, they're just not doing it. And there's this big sense of um, embarrassment of being like, actually, I just, I can't quite get there by myself and this very act of asking for help and having that kind of first conversation can feel really um really challenging and a bit of a sticking point and I think we've all been there where we kind of think okay actually I'm going to need to just ask someone to help me with this because I am a bit stuck but how long does it take us to get to the point of asking for help a lot of the time it takes (laughs) um personal experience quite a while to kind of say okay actually I do need some support kind of doing this um because to to say that is to accept the fact that actually you're not quite there yet and and that's an uncomfortable feeling to sit with Mm, yeah but we have to stop glorifying like hyper independence and glorifying perfectionism which doesn't exist like to accept that you are struggling is to be vulnerable to be courageous enough to ask for help, to build a new connection if you're doing if you're doing this work with us or with someone else. Like all of that, are, all of those things are such signs of strength. I'm so over, and I because because I've done this for so long and I still do it in certain parts of my life, I'm so over glorifying everything being fine and doing things by yourself. Like it's not personally to me now, I don't find it admirable. I don't find it admirable in myself because I've learned the hard way. But I don't find it admirable in other people. It almost, I have to call myself because I almost get frustrated when I see the people that I love in my life. I'm like, stop trying to do everything yourself. Just let, like, let me help. But saying that does not, let me help is not a helpful thing to say to anyone. But I wish that we could reframe this as I'm proud of myself for being vulnerable enough to ask for help, for being brave enough to ask for, for help, for reaching out and building a new connection. I'm proud of myself for that. That 
is much more admirable than stiff upper lip and kind of portraying this game face because what we what we resist persists and if that is our feelings especially around disordered eating it's only going to, to consistently get worse or at least stay the same accepting it is really the only way then to start moving through it and also being that as you said vulnerable enough but also compassionate enough to offer the opportunity to somebody to support you and whether that is coaching or outside of that the moment you can say to somebody like I could really use some help with this the joy that that person will have in this person trusts me and wants me to help them like your friends your family you'll be surprised how much joy they have in feeling helpful the mm. same way that you love to feel useful and helpful so much that so much that and there's like a physiological phenomenon called helper's high which is actually beneficial for your health so really you're just doing other people a favor so, you're improving their health yeah, that's exactly. it no ask for help <laughs> so selfless um another really common fear when it comes to improving relationship with food is the fear of judgment like this fear of judgment specifically we see it with clients around people that they love people that, are, that they know that they feel that they don't understand um so like we see this sometimes with with people's partners they're either what some some people don't tell their partners that they're working with us for a while um but they're because they're scared of a lack of support or that it makes them look a certain way or that their parent, parents their partners or their parents won't understand and they're scared of the judgment that comes with that but again this also often comes with like personal trainers and the fear of judgment that like we never will share clients that we work with um non-anonymously or anonymously we won't share them unless they know obviously um and I've certainly worked with a lot of PTs who don't feel comfortable accepting to other people or acknowledging to other people that um, they're doing this work because there's just sometimes, sometimes not all the time, like it's always legit and totally fair. Um, but sometimes it's just this fear of being judged for going through this. But again, it comes back to, I think, what we were saying before of like, to me, it's one of the most brave, admirable things. And I've said over and over again how much work I've had to put into my relationship with food. That doesn't make me a fraud. That makes me improve my empathy and awareness. Um, but there's certainly a lot of this fear of judgment from other people there. Yeah, definitely. And I think just to kind of build a little bit on that, something that I, I hear a lot from people is that, you know, they're, oh, it's going to sound sexist, but they'll say, you know, their husbands just don't really understand because they're married to people that just have never really had a problem with their relationship with food they eat quite intuitively take it or leave it never a big deal and so to explain their struggles to their partner feels hard because just to kind of like um communicate that in a way that feels clear can be tough but also for someone who maybe just doesn't understand like why can't you just eat what you want to eat they just don't get it and that support can feel quite tough so it's a good conversation to have but sometimes it feels um like quite a big barrier to have that conversation with them but what I would say um again just kind of just building on your points today is that within the team you know if if you're a coach whatever your position is we're all coaches who have worked through our relationship with food obviously Anna and I worked with you ourselves to be like right this is where we are this is what we need and there is no shame in saying okay I kind of know what is healthy for me but I just can't get my behavior where I want it to be and having someone say okay I've got you let's slow this down let's do this let's do that is just 
oh, I can't even describe it. I think I said to you, where have you been all my life? <laughs> where have you been all my life? I probably um, saved that one and uh, I've got it in my phone somewhere. I'm sure when I get next <laughs> I will save it. Um, and the thing is like, it's always important to remember with judgment is that generally the judgment, like, it's, judgment is them issue. It's a them problem. It's not a you, like, it's not your problem. It's not a reflection of you. It's a reflection of their lack of compassion or their lack of understanding. And most of the time when our clients have these conversations with people, they get met with compassion and love. And it just requires a conversation that's open that we often will support people in having because normally our clients are surprised by the lack of judgment that they get. Most people who are in supportive relationships um, don't are not judged or at least once a conversation had like that's not the case I think most of the judgment tends to come from you yourself and yeah. the fear of the judgment is far larger than any judgment that is received absolutely absolutely um okay the final fear that a lot of people feel with this work is ultimately the fear of un of the unknown I think the fear of the unknown is one of the biggest fears we have as humans. And I saw this quote, and it was an anonymous quote, and it said, um, do we really want to be rid of our resentments, our anger, our fear? Many of us cling to our fears, doubts, self-loathing, self-loathing or hatred because there is certain distorted security in familiar pain. It seems safer to embrace what we know than to let go of it for fear of the unknown. And we see this a lot. If you replace, you know, fears, doubts, self-loathing with disordered eating. Many of us cling to our disordered eating because there's a certain distorted security and familiar pain. It seems safer to embrace what we know in our disordered eating than to let go, it, let go of it for fear of the unknown. And like that's so, so common. It's one of the reasons as well, like you'll see people in really toxic relationships because if you've grown up, say, say you were a child in a situation with domestic violence or domestic abuse, as you get older, you might find yourself in similar relationships because it feels familiar. It feels um, comfortable, even though logically you know that it's not safe or comfortable. It feels familiar because that's what you were exposed to as a child. And we would rather stay in our dysfunctional habits sometimes than risk what's coming next when we don't know what that is. It's, what's the old-fashioned saying now better the devil you know mm. it's like this is painful and I don't like it but I know it so I can handle it and I know how to to stick with it but although there might be something scary and different and new but it turns out better it's a bit too too risky to to take that leap mm. yeah and I wrote something for an email which I didn't actually put in my email but it was when I was doing some prep for this podcast um which I'm just going to read and we sabotage our own health and happiness because perceived failure while miserable is a fear we're familiar with but success is a whole new kind of terrifying requiring a new way to think act and be so we choose to stay where we are which is why I think this kind of ties into probably most of our earlier points of this work is you can hold space for this work being the scariest thing that you've done in a while but also the most courageous. And, you know, Brene Brown talks about this a lot, like courage is fear walking. It, being courageous is not the absence of fear, it's feeling the fear and, and doing it anyway. And so if you're worried about improving your relationship with food, whether that be with us or on your own or with someone else, recognize that that fear is absolutely okay, but it's not a sign not to do something. It's a sign to go forwards in that and be brave and to do it anyway and notice these things that come up. And if you are doing it with a coach like us, 
you know telling us these fears so that we can support you through it yeah absolutely and the thing is like you you can never predict the future you never know what's going to happen in the future but if you're making a decision and taking a step that you know you you have an idea of where it's going that in alone like on its own is pretty exciting and pretty cool and I do think something people will say when they book a call with me will be like oh I'm so nervous but I'm also excited and I think sometimes we can easily misread nerves as a negative thing whereas actually it can just be some excitement of I'm about to do something that I have been having on that back burner for quite a while and I'm ready to do it and I think sometimes just check in with your nerves and see okay is this a bad nerves or is this actually quite a positive feeling right now Mm, I love that I started thinking about this the other day actually because I was like I haven't felt nervous for a while and I got a little bit nervous at I think it was IFS I'll get like little bits of nerves but not really so I was doing something in my personal life and I was like oh nervous for this this is great I forgot what this feels like and it's nice to get a bit of nerves sometimes it means you're living your life it means you're really going for stuff that's what I tell myself anyway I like that thanks um okay thanks Roger um again if you like this podcast feel free to ask us any questions in our dms or share as usual thanks thank you bye thanks so much for listening I hope you enjoyed it and as always if you did please do feel free to like share subscribe and review And if you would like to chat to me, then you can find details of my Instagram in the show notes.